Gospel of John. And verse 6 to 3. John 6. I must not have said 6. John 6 and verse 6 to 3. Then I'm going to go all the way back to Ezekiel. John 6 and verse 6 to 3. It is the Spirit that quickeneth. Now that's the same word used in Ephesians 2. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespass and sins. It is the Spirit that quickeneth, makes alive. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Brother, this is like an extension of your devotion this morning. That's what you were talking about this morning. Now look at Ezekiel. Chapter 36. Verse 26, a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put, in, put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. Chapter 37 he gives us that great vision of the valley of dry bones. And what was that all about? Well, he set it up here in chapter 36, what I just read there in verse 26 and 27. And here he gives a, a tremendous illustration of what he's talking about. This very, very many, a whole valley full of very many, very dry, very dead bones. And he blew on them. His spirit entered within them. They stood up and then flesh, sinews of flesh came upon them and they lived. And that is exactly uh, what he's talking about in John here. The work of the Holy Spirit and bringing his people to salvation. Now, I've talked about this as the necessity for the Spirit's work. I hear sometimes talk about the importance of the Spirit's work. If I just said importance, you might be able to do without it somewhat. If it's just important, if the Spirit's work is just important, then you may be able to get by without it in a pinch. But I don't mean to say that. I want to say the necessity of the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I don't want to detract from the truth. Now, 
Everything Christ did was necessary. Everything the Holy Spirit does is necessary. Christ performed many miracles. Brother Wayne gave the absolute purpose of the Lord's miracles this morning. He didn't come to heal all the sick. He didn't come to feed all the poor. He didn't come to raise all the dead. His miracles were performed for a purpose. That we might know that he is whom God says he is. And he came here to do what God sent him to do. And he is able to do what God sent him to do. And those miracles sensed it. Uh, do you remember when he said in the, one of his miracles, is it easier to say, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to a paralegic? Rise, take up your bed and walk in front of a crowd. Which one is the easiest to say? You better not say that one unless you're prepared to deliver. And that man, paralegic, stands up and takes his bed and walks away. Now if you're not ready to do that, I'd advise against it. Don't do it. Don't say it. But now about anybody could say, I forgive you, or God forgives you. They say that every day. Catholic priests say it. Popes say it. Now, which one is the most difficult to do. Forgive your sins. And there's only one who can. And that's God. Based on the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So. The miracle. Rise. Take up thy bed and walk. Tabitha. Rise. That's dead, you know. Those are difficult. But not as difficult as your sins be forgiven you. Because it takes exactly what it took. And that is the whole life, death, burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ to do that. So that's, that's the point. Now. So none of Christ's miracles were unnecessary. Now there's all kinds of miracles uh, uh, that they uh, allege or lie about. Uh, got a little new, new news to tell you. I've talked about Mother Teresa quite a bit. Uh, I think she died in 97. That means that she was, she's been dead uh, 26 years so I didn't know it before a few years now 
She's actually been canonized. She's been made a saint. First off, she was beatified. Then she was canonized. And I asked, I couldn't get an answer on it. Uh, exactly when did she get out of purgatory? Couldn't even get a response on that. Not at all could I get a response out of that. Now, if you read Catholic doctrine, Thomas Aquinas, you read the Council of Trent, they teach doctrine of purgatory. And uh, purgatory is just as hot as hell. It just doesn't last as long. And that's Roman Catholic doctrine. And the only way you can get out is to have them pray you out. And that costs money. And you have to have mass after mass after mass and pay and pay. And then they can't tell you when you get out. Or you can be made a saint. And when you're made a saint, when the Pope declares you a saint, then you're automatically released from purgatory. So that's what their doctrine teaches. But I couldn't get any response at all. Well, in order to be, be declared a saint, you have to have at least two provable miracles that you've performed. And guess what? They found some on Mother Teresa. The first one was performed, I think, six years after she died. There was a, uh, a fella that had some kind of an awful tumor in his belly, and he was going to die. And at the last moment, he saw a ray of light come from a picture of Mother Teresa. And they immediately, I don't know how they knew to do this, but they immediately went and got a medallion that had Mother Teresa on it. And they strapped it on his belly. And miraculously, the guy lived. The tumor was gone. It was all gone. Therefore, she had one miracle. Then she had another one that she performed longer than that after she'd been dead of some woman that had brain tumors or brain cancer or something. And somehow she was instrumental and that brain cancer being healed. Therefore, she had two provable miracles, and uh, there she is. Well, uh, I don't believe it. I don't anybody got a, got any sense at all would not believe such a cockamamie story as that made up story. Well, then you got. I've, I've mentioned this to you all before. Uh, do you know what a cephalophorus is? 
How many, anybody know what that cephalophore is? Well, that means a head carrier. <laughs> Cephas is a head, you know. A head carrier. I mean, literally a head carrier. Your head. A human head. Carrying your own head. Well, lots of people in this world know about that. I forget how many people a year go to Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris, France. Just to see it in ooh and ah. Right out front of Notre Dame means Our Lady. Talking about Mary. All right. But right out front, they got a bunch of statues, and there's one of them there named Saint Dennis. And he had his head cut off. And he carried his head. He's a cephalophorus. He carried his head for somewhere between six and seven miles preaching. Millions of people have seen that. There's that statue holding his head down there, and he's got his eyes open and his mouth open. He's preaching. Now, we know that didn't happen. But let's just say it did. What would that do for you? If that actually happened, how would your life be enriched by that? It wouldn't add any money to you, wouldn't feed your family, wouldn't do a thing for you, and wouldn't take you to heaven. So that, these are miracles that people talk about that they've got going. Well, the study of these miracles is called hagiology. <laughs> okay. Anyway, all of the miracles of Christ actually occurred and they occurred for a purpose and that purpose is to prove who and what he is all of the promises of God are necessary so everything God gives us is necessary what the religion of this world concocts Actually doesn't help anybody do anything. It just spreads lies is all it does. But now, the necessity of the Holy Spirit's work. The Holy Spirit's work is necessary if you would be saved. We've already heard some of this this morning. The Holy Spirit's work is necessary for a lost sinner to be saved. And we know that by our nature. Well our nature is a depraved nature. This all began with Adam back in the Garden of Eden. Many people, many denominations teach. That people were saved different in the Old Testament. Than they are in our times. 
Camelites teach there's a dozen different ways of salvation through, the, through history, that hyper-dispensationalism. But my point is this. There has never been a change in the nature of a human being <coughs> unless the Holy Spirit did a work of grace in them. And that's called the new birth. Work of regeneration. Uh, dead, spiritually dead men can no more save themselves than can dead, physically dead men resurrect themselves. There's only been one who ever said, I have power to lay my life down and I have power to take it up again. And that's our Lord Jesus Christ. And there's more evidence for that than any any incident in history. <coughs> we see that illustrated with the Ezekiel's dry bones. <coughs> Back in Ezekiel. <coughs> Man is not only dead spiritually to God, but in his deadness, he is actively opposed to God. Look over Romans 8. Romans 8, verse 7. Because the carnal mind, carnal means fleshly, natural mind, is enmity against God. Now whose carnal mind? Everybody's carnal mind. Jew, Gentile, everybody in this whole world is enmity against God. <coughs> For it is not subject to the law of God, and neither indeed can be. So, we know our nature, the nature of natural man. Therefore, no preacher, no religion, can do anything to get you to heaven. Nothing. It must be by the Holy Spirit's work. Well, John 5, 40 said, You will not come to me that you might have life. People say, well, I believe in man's free will. There it is right there. Amen. There's man's free will. You will not come to me that you might have life. You will not. Then in John 6 he says, No man can come to me except my Father would send me draw him. Well, we know that the Holy Spirit's work is absolutely necessary. And we know that by our nature. Our sinful, depraved nature. And there's never been a change in all of these 6,000 plus years. From Adam till now. There's never been a change in man's nature. Therefore, uh, people talk about people, uh, the Jews were saved by the law in the Old Testament. No, they weren't. No, they weren't. No one's ever been saved by what you do, Amen. obeying the law or anything else. The law is weak through the flesh. 
And no one has ever been saved from his own works, his own devices. So there's never been a change in human nature. I don't have to have Dr. Hogjaws give me some theological dissertation about how people were saved from Adam on. I don't have to have that. I know right off that by nature, we're spiritually dead to God. And we are spiritually opposed to God. And there's never been, and unless something occurs, say, well, everybody has an opportunity. No, they don't. Their opportunity is destroyed by their, by their sinful nature. Because you will not come to me, is what he said. Well, and now, secondly, we know of the Holy Spirit's necessary work would be saved by the inadequacy of the means of salvation. Now listen, is it true that Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God? Absolutely. But you knowing that will not save you. Is it true that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, not because he couldn't sin, but because he did not sin? Big difference there. Heard it just the other day. Preacher saying, why well, he could not sin. If you, if you say that, the reason Jesus did not sin was because he could not sin, you just wiped out his humanity. Amen. He did not sin. There's the truth. He made a choice not to sin. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin, because he did no sin. He did, the last Adam, Jesus Christ, accomplished what the first Adam, first Adam, Adam, failed miserably at. He, he condemned Sin in the flesh by obeying the law of God to the infinite degree. Now, Jesus Christ lived a perfect life. He did not sin. That of itself will not save you. Jesus Christ went to the cross of Calvary. He came off, was buried, 72 hours arose. All of those facts are absolutely true. But not a one of them will get you to heaven unless the Holy Spirit does a work of grace in you and brings you to repentance and saving faith. Necessity of the work of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 1, Brother Wayne was already there. Verse 17, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Verse 21, for after that in the wisdom of God, 
The world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews, a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. The preaching is right. And it must be done. But no man's preaching will get you to heaven. A lot of folks don't know that. A lot of folks look at these big evangelists and they have all these people coming down and I'll look how they're saving people. Well, if anybody got saved, it wasn't them that did it. Preaching is right to do, but it is inadequate. So don't ever get too carried away by the (coughs) ability of the preacher. He can't do it. He can't bring them into the kingdom of God. Well, then, what about the preacher? The preacher is almost insignificant. I had a pastor really got mad at me over that. Preaching on the parable of the sower. There was a sower went forth to sow. And I said, you notice... You don't know who the sower was. None of the gospels reveal to us who the sower was. Didn't give us his name, what his position in life was, what his position in the church was in Jerusalem. Nothing about the sower except one thing. A sower went forth to sow, and he sowed good seed. Now you're done with the sower. I'm the sower. You the sower. Don't take us long to get get out of this picture. <laughs> we just got a couple things we got to do. We we got to get the good seed, the right seed, truth, and we got to sow it. After that, we're out of the picture, folks. It's God that gives increase. And it's the Holy Spirit that does the work of grace. Now, Samson slew a whole lot of Philistines. Did he, did he have a bright, shining sword? He had the jawbone of an ass. Now, I don't know how old the jawbone was. Had it been all the flesh been eaten out of it, the meat been eaten out of it, the brains and everything? Or was it a fairly, fairly fresh one? I don't know. doesn't say. But he took the jawbone of an ass and slew all of those flesh, a bunch of them. I fit the the picture, and anybody like me, of the jawbone of the ass. (laughs) That's me. There I am. Not a bright shining sword. Not an AK-47 or whatever they are. Nothing like that. Nothing. Nothing honorable like that. 
the jawbone of an ass. There I am. There's all of God's people that do a work of do a work for Him, working in His vineyard. What well, a John the Baptist! How'd he look? He came out of the wilderness, camel hair, leather, and girdle, eating bugs, <laughs> locusts, and wild honey. Yet he had long hair because he was Nazarite. He didn't have a three-piece suit on. He didn't have an entourage. He wasn't in a limousine. Very crude looking. God's man. Well, he was just a voice. Who are you? He said, I'm just a voice. Crying out of the wilderness. What's your name? Ain't got one. Don't have a name. Just a voice. That's all he was. Uh, salvation must be from a higher power than from preachers. Now, as I said, the preaching of the cross is necessary. God said it was. You must have a proclaimer to proclaim the word. But that never brought anybody into the kingdom of God. Not one time did it. We see the necessary work of the Holy Spirit. While you're there, look at 1 Thessalonians. <coughs> First Thessalonians, chapter 1. Verse 4, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God, <clears throat> because or for our gospel came not unto you in word only. Now that's all any human being can do is bring it in word only. But also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. As you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. But the gospel came in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And had it not, it would never have accomplished anything in you. That's true of all of us. Yes. So next we see the symbols are certainly powerless to get us into the kingdom of God. Now, we've only got two symbols. Amen. Now, a lot of people talk about Christian symbols. Matter of fact, the Pope has just uh, informed soon-to-be King Charles that he's sending him a shard from the cross that Jesus died on. And he's already got a big cross thing to put it in. Oh, and they got all kinds, they're going to have all kinds of relics there. And they call them also symbols. 
Well, now the cross is not a Christian symbol. Never was. Matter of fact, churches didn't start displaying them until well after Constantine's time. Up until that time, many, many of the early believers, early churches, early Baptists, Anabaptists, they were killed because they would not display a cross. I don't care who says it. A cross is not a Christian symbol. You think it is? You look, you drive by a Catholic church, they got a cross. You drive by an Orthodox, they got a cross. You drive by Lutheran, they got a cross. Episcopalian, they got a cross. Campbellite, they got a cross. Southern Baptists, they got a cross. Some independent Baptists, they got a cross. Methodists, they got a cross. Presbyterian, they've got a cross. Now, what is that a symbol of? Do they all preach the same thing? No. Do they preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? Plus nothing, minus nothing? Of course not. Then how can that one thing symbolize all of those denominations? <laughs> then I see people with dangling crosses around their neck, tattooed on their body. And you never see them in a church. You never see them serving the Lord at all. So how does that cross symbolize all? It doesn't. That's just, that's just what they say. And it doesn't. Well, we've got two symbols. The first one is baptism. Showing forth the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Showing forth the death, burial, and spiritual resurrection of the one being baptized. And into the church that is being the authority of their baptism. But it is a symbol. That symbol cannot save you. The Lord's Supper is the other one. Brother Kazee called it picture preaching and table talking. Uh, picture preaching by showing forth the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not literally turning into the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. What heresy. And millions, hundreds of millions of people believe that and practice that every day. <coughs> but it's a symbol. And we do show forth his death until he comes again. And those are symbols. But now. Every denomination, I've shown you this before, to one degree or another, equates some saving significance with baptism or sprinkling or pouring. They equate some saving significance to it. Even those who claim they believe the doctrines of grace, they say it, it, it washes away original sin or something. We know that baptism doesn't wash away any sin. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood is what the scriptures say, Revelation 1.5. <coughs> so, these symbols, yes, they are important. And yes, millions of Baptists have been killed, mur murdered, martyred because of standing on the truth of these symbols. But they are symbols. And that's all. There's nothing savingly significant about either one of them. And those who trust these, they do not know that their natures, 
are depraved. All right, now, all that the God the Father has done for us is useless information to us until the Spirit of God has revealed it to us in our hearts by doing a work of grace in there. And in enlightening, enlivening us unto this, unto the truth. So, coming to us in power. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 20. <clears throat> For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Now, God the Father elected his people. You know, we sung that song. Uh, well, was it 336? I think it was. It was a while ago. No, it wasn't it. Which one was it? It was an old song. Today? Huh? Today? Yeah, this morning, just a while ago. Huh? No, the one before that. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, when the roll is called up yonder, that's one we sing. Yeah. Now I know there's a lot of Armenians that sing that song. <coughs> but y'all remember a little phrase in that song says, When his chosen one shall gather over on the other side. Well, then you've got the hard shells that say that. God's elect were saved in eternity. No, they weren't. No, they weren't. God elected them in eternity, but he elected them unto salvation. And even God's election does not by itself put you into the kingdom of God. Guarantees it, but it doesn't do it. So, He elected his people from before the foundation of the world. Paul says that you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. And he said you all also walked according to the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, even as others, children of wrath, even as others. Those are saved elect. But he said before they were saved, they were children of wrath even as others. So I'm talking about the necessity of the work of the Holy Spirit. <coughs> even though God the Father elected until the Spirit revealed it, I could not grasp it. Anybody, you've talked about this here just recently. About before you were saved, you couldn't grasp it. You couldn't do it. We couldn't grasp it. It's nothing. 
We didn't figure this out. We didn't calculate God. We didn't calculate salvation. <coughs> we couldn't figure it out at all. Paul said of the Jews, there's a veil over their minds in Corinthians. And unless that veil be removed, they'll not see the truth. So why don't they believe? <coughs> I have that question come to me. Why don't they believe they're lost? What if they're the elect? I don't know that. Even if they are, they're still lost until they're saved. Amen. Amen. And that's what our chills don't understand. Lostness is we are lost children of wrath by nature, even as others, until we're saved. And then when we are saved, it's the result of the necessary work of the Holy Spirit. God the Father covenanted with his Son to redeem the elect. That is an absolute fact, scriptural fact. Before the world was, there was a covenant in the Godhead. God the Father elected, God the Son is going to redeem them. And God the Spirit's going to apply it. But folks, until that's done, until that's completed, doesn't mean a thing to you. That's why people can sit, that little action the people have got said, went right over my head. You can hit and hear the gospel, you can hear the word, you can hear the truth. Doesn't mean a thing to you. Not a thing. Until the Holy Spirit does the work of grace. God the Son redeemed his people. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Now how many people have heard that? I mean. I mean just this past Easter time. We don't celebrate Easter. We celebrate the resurrection of the Lord every Sunday. But I'm sure a lot of people did hear a little something about the resurrection of Jesus. Didn't they? But the only ones to whom it will mean anything are those in whom the Holy Spirit comes with the gospel in power Amen. and does a work of grace in them, enlivens and enlightens them until the Holy Spirit reveals it to you doesn't mean a thing. The conviction, people I've heard preachers talk about, you got to be convicted of your sin. Well, that's not wrong. That's right. But conviction that you are a sinner without hope in this world 
is absolutely impossible without the work of the Holy Spirit. What can make a self-righteous Saul of Tarsus become a true repentant sinner? Let me say you got a, the Holy Spirit arrested Saul on his road to Damascus. Saul didn't head, head out to become a, a believer. He was a hater. Of, of Jesus Christ and ultimately of God. He didn't think he was, but he was. But he didn't come, he didn't come all the way up that road to, going to Damascus to make friends. He was coming to persecute them, to get rid of them, to wipe them out. But what happened to him? Whatever happened to Saul happened inside. You couldn't necessarily see it on the outside. Now you can see some evidence of it a little bit later. But you couldn't see what was going on. And what was going on in Saul of Tarsus. Is that the gospel came to him in power of the Holy Spirit. And he said Lord. What wilt thou have me to do? He was changed forever. From that moment on. The thief on the cross, we've talked about him a lot. You had two of them. One of them, one of them kept on blaspheming the Lord. The other one started, and then something happened to him. All of a sudden, something happened to him. You couldn't see it on the outside. His hands were out there nailed out and feet nailed on that cross. He was in absolute pain, even as the other one, not in as much pain as the Lord. The Lord was there for a different reason. But he started out casting aspersions in Jesus' face. If you actually are the king of the Jews, get yourself down from here. And us too. He started out that way. But then all of a sudden he changed. What happened? Was some preacher out there? No, no, no preacher was out there. Uh, not at all. Matter of fact, by the, all of them had left Jesus. You had Roman soldiers rattling bones, shooting dice around the cross. Well, something happened to him. And I contend the thing that happened to him was what I've been talking about all. The necessary work of the Holy Spirit did a work of grace in the thief on the cross. And though he didn't live long, what a testimony he left. Because the Lord did that work of grace in him. And he expressed that outwardly for all time and eternity. <coughs> Without the Holy Spirit's work, the graces of salvation are impossible. That is repentance and faith. Where does repent? God grants repentance and faith. And it's the Holy Spirit that effects that in the heart of a lost person. Conversion and sanctification. Look back at Romans real quick and we'll bring this to a close. Romans 8 and verse 9. 
But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. If you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, it's because you don't belong to him. But if you belong to him, you know him, and the free pardon of your sins is because the Holy Spirit has indwelt you and he still remains there. (coughs) So my conclusion, the Holy Spirit's work is totally necessary in salvation. One cannot nor will not repent, believe, convert or sanctify oneself any more than one can resurrect or glorify oneself. You can't do any of that. And if you are the Lord's, you've repented and believed, it is only because the Holy Spirit has indwelt you. Let's all stand.